Hello and welcome to the Disciple Making Podcast, where we're all about helping Christians to become disciple makers. I'm your host, Bradman. Over the last three weeks, we've been exploring the first of the foundations that we want to both build in ourselves and foster and develop in our disciples, which was to be led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Today we begin on the second foundation, prayer. But it's not just prayer, but something that we've called prayerful dependence. Prayerful dependence extends beyond the description of simply talking to God, but better describes the kind of relationship of prayer that we see modeled in the life of Jesus. Prayer is something that is incredibly foundational to our Christian faith. It is impossible to be a Christian without learning to pray. And just in the life of Jesus alone, there are 45 sections of Scripture and 30 different instances where Jesus is either modeled or taught prayer. Yet it is also something that if you had to ask many Christians about, they would often describe their own prayer lives as somehow inadequate. So in today's episode, we're going to take some time to develop prayerful dependence, and we're going to look at how we see that in the life of Jesus. And then next week, we're going to talk about how we can begin to build and to grow that in our own lives. So let's jump into just a couple of the scriptures and see how Jesus lived a life of prayerful dependence. And then let's invite him to open up the fullness of what that means for us. So here's our first scripture, Luke chapter 3, verses 21 to 22. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Have you ever noticed this before in Jesus' baptism? There's this moment where Jesus is seen here in Luke turning to God in prayer. It feels like a reflex for Jesus. At least that's the way I, I read it as Luke has recorded it. Jesus was baptized, and as he was praying, heaven opened. The other gospel writers, when they describe this moment for us, they, they don't include this detail, but we get it from Luke. And for me, as I read it, it points to this relational connection that Jesus has with God. I mean, it makes me ask the question, why was he praying? Was prayer required as some kind of ritual or ceremony as you came out of the water. It's not that not that we know of. It seems to be this worship response. It's a response of as Jesus comes out of the water, having been baptized, he offers back worship to God for who God is and what God has done. It's evidence for me of the closeness of God to Jesus' reality. There are moments in his life that, that move him to pray, that move him to praise, that move him to worship, that move him to wait that move him to commune with his Father. In the life of Jesus, and this example is, is one of them, we see that there's no separation between the secular and the sacred in Jesus' life. The two are so close together that what happens in his life is always sacred. And so it always requires and, and comes out of a response to God. It's always connected to and related to God. And the same is true for us. There is no distinction between secular and sacred. When we have success at work, we turn and give praise to God. When we're struggling at home, we turn to God and pray. That's how Jesus lived. There was this closeness of community with his Father, this overlapping of secular and sacred, where, where everything was just, let me turn to God. Let's have a look. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. It says this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. 
When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Let's break this down for a second. What does Jesus notice? Now, Jesus notices that the people need guidance. People, These people are looking for and they need the kingdom. Quick sidebar, have you ever considered what a scathing indictment this is on the Pharisees of his day? For Jesus to call their people, their flock, sheep without a shepherd. Their church is like a church without a pastor. It's quite a sharp thing to say. It's just something I picked up the other day that was really interesting. So Jesus notices that people need guidance. They, they're looking for the kingdom. They haven't found it. So what do we expect Jesus to do? Well, I mean, I kind of expect Jesus to stop and to teach them some more, maybe to perform some miracles, to, to tell them about the kingdom that they're looking for. That would seem normal. I mean, that's actually what happens in Mark. Before Jesus feeds the 5,000, in, in Mark chapter 6, verses 32 to 34, it says this. It says, So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns, and they got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And then they got hungry, and he multiplied food. I mean, that seems like a normal response. But in Matthew, Jesus does something very different. Instead of looking at the crowd, seeing them as sheep without a shepherd, feeling compassion, and being like, well, let me now tell you what you've come to hear. He turns to his disciples, and he challenges them, and he says to them, I'm actually, I want you to see this challenge. I want you to see this need that the people have, and I'm calling you to pray. In Mark, Jesus' compassion moves him to teach. In Matthew, it forms the basis for his instruction and prayer. When Jesus saw the greatness of the need, he didn't despair, but he taught his disciples to respond in faith, to respond in prayer by choosing to trust God even when the situation might be overwhelming. How often do we face that? I think Jesus would tell us the same thing. Turn to God. Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. This segment is very short and it's very simple. Jesus' ministry is pumping. The church is full. The sermons are great. The outreaches are popular. The miracles are flowing. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. Notice three things here. Prayer is appropriate, important, and I would argue critical when things are great, not just when they're bad. In fact, if things will not remain great if there is no prayer. Jesus carried on doing the ministry that God had called him because he often withdrew to pray. Prayer is important and it's critical even when things are great. If you want ministry to continue to go well, if you want life to continue to go well, there needs to be prayer. Prayer is the basis. Second thing to notice, Jesus practiced deep prayer often. Jesus practiced deep prayer often. He says he often withdrew. He often went away to pray. It was frequent. It was a habit. It was in his proverbial Google calendar. Jesus scheduled prayer. He made sure that it was a part of his routine. 
Thirdly, let's notice, it was lonely. Jesus removed himself from distractions. He knew that in order to create meaningful connection with God, he needed to remove the distractions that were around him. And so he, he actually went away. He got away from people. He got away from the TV. He got away from his cell phone. He got himself to a place where it was just him and God, and he could be alone with God, and he could commune with him. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Next scripture, Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. One of those days, Jesus went out on a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose twelve of them, whom he also designated apostles. He has another short and sweet one. Jesus has a really big decision to make. Who am I going to disciple intensively so that when I leave, they're going to change the world? That's the, that's the call I've got to make. Of all these people that are flocking to hear me, who are the twelve on which the international church for all time is going to be built? And this is a big decision. And so it's a decision that Jesus bathes in prayer. And I want you to notice, this prayer was sacrificial. It wasn't just a quick two minutes, a, it wasn't a 30 seconds while he was driving. It was, Lord, I really need you for this. And so I'm going to I'm going to take the night to pray. I mean, I'm not sure about you, but I really like to sleep at night. It's one of my favorite parts of the day. I like it even more now than I did when I was 20. But Jesus sacrificed sleep because he needed to spend time with the Father. Because he knew that if God didn't lead him in this, everything else would be for nothing. Friends, sometimes prayer needs to be sacrificial. Let's go to Luke chapter 11. Verses 5 to 11. Right? And you could start from verse 1 if you wanted to as well. Then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night. My family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this. Though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You fathers... If your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This explanation, which comes right after the Lord's Prayer, gives us a whole sermon in and of itself. I've got to try hard not to spend too long here. Let's just notice some of the key ideas that Jesus teaches. Firstly, he says, friends, you need to pray with persistence because God is concerned about his own reputation. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying the friend in the story is concerned about what other people will think about him, which is why he concedes to the request. He knows that if he has someone banging on his door at midnight for hours on end, his neighbors are going to get upset. And so he gets up and deals with the guy who's asking for bread. 
Jesus is calling us to persistently call on the Lord, to call on his faithfulness and to trust that he will answer us. And so he gives us this promise. That's the second part that he He says, when we are persistent, God will answer. We can hold God to this. And it might not always be the answer we want, but God will answer. That's his promise. And then finally, Jesus highlights the fatherness of God, coupled with his perfect goodness. Because even if it's not the answer we want, he wants us to know that God is a father who loves us and he always does what is best for us. See, prayer is not a request that we make of the universe. It's not something we offer to and some kind of impersonal force. We, we don't pray to some God who is far away in heaven and our prayer has to travel hundreds of thousands of miles to get up to God. Prayer is a conversation between a loving father and a beloved child. It's defined by its relationship. It is rooted in trust, protection, and confidence. If you are blessed enough to have a good childhood, when you were young, you would have looked upon your father as a man who knew everything, who was stronger than anyone, someone for whom nothing was impossible, and in whose presence you felt safe and secure. Jesus is trying to teach us that prayer with your heavenly father should be like that. That's how you should relate to your father. Second last passage we'll look at today. John chapter 11, verses 41 to 44. So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you have sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. This is one of my favorite passages when it comes to prayer. Because it displays one thing so beautifully. It displays how close Jesus was to the Father. I love this, I love this line. Because I know that you always hear me. It's this confidence that Jesus had that he prays with. And it's so beautiful. And I think, and I think it's because he knew his Father so well. Like think of the depth of the relationship that they have had. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been together literally forever. There is an eternity of history where the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have eternally existed. At least in as long as earth has been around, they've been together for over four millennia, ten millennia. However long you think that process, God has been together. The Father and the Son and the Spirit have known each other intimately for that amount of time. So when Jesus prays, he prays to someone that he knows. He prays to someone that he knows intimately. That he knows so incredibly well. And so he says, I know that you always hear me. Because I know who you are. Our, our relationship is built and established. And so my prayer comes out of my relationship. Prayerful dependence. Like this moment where you have to depend on God to raise someone from the dead. Comes out of relationship. And for us, it also builds relationship. It's a primary way we build relationship with God is to spend that time with Him. At its core, prayerful dependence is about becoming secure in your relationship with the Father as Jesus was. 
about becoming as secure in your relationship with the Father as Jesus was. And prayer in itself is both a means of accomplishing this and an outworking of it. Final passage, Luke 22, verses 41 to 44. Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. He knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Again, there's a lot here. But this passage allows us to share in some of Jesus' last moments before his arrest and execution. And in these moments, we see again how Jesus was fully and completely dependent on the Father in prayer. And how the Father ministered to him in prayer. How he sent angels to him. This prayer shows us the emotion that can be contained in prayer. It teaches us that prayer is not something that is dry or necessarily quiet and contemplative. It's not always a quiet conversation in a secluded place. Sometimes, like here, it's powerful, it's, it's tiring, it's draining, it's emotive, it's anguished, it's loud. But see how God answers Jesus in prayer. Angels come and they strengthen him. Prayerful dependence means a relational connection to God in every season, whether in celebration and worship at a baptism or in anguish and pain at an arrest. Prayerful dependence is the substance of the relationship between God and us, and it endures and sustains us in every season. Let me wrap up with a few thoughts by way of summary. If you want to grow prayerful dependence in your own life or in the life of your disciple, use the passages of Jesus' life and see how Jesus teaches and models prayer for us. For ease of reference, here are some of the ones we've looked at today. If you want to go back and, and study them yourself. Luke chapter 3, 21 to 22. Matthew 9, 35 to 38. Luke 5, 15 to 16. Luke 6, 12 to 13. Luke 11, 5 to 11. John 11, 41 to 44. And Luke 22, 41 to 44. Secondly, allow your prayers to be holistic and to cover every area of your life both the good things and the things that really need work. Thirdly, use prayer to go upward, inward, and outwards. In other words, use prayer to create intimacy between yourself and God. Use prayer to transform your life into increasing degrees of righteousness so that you look more and more like Jesus. Bring the stuff in your life that needs to be sorted out to the Lord in prayer. Thirdly, use prayer to, to move you towards ministry into and for the lives of others. Be praying for those who don't yet know Jesus. Be praying for God to send workers out into the harvest field. Be praying for yourself that you would be more aware of the people that God has placed around you so that you could be His light and instrument in their lives. We're going to talk a lot more about this next week, so come and join us then as Edwina and I chat. Uh, and make this a lot more practical. We talk about how we can grow and develop prayerful dependence in our lives and the lives of others. Until next week, though, ciao for now. Bye-bye, and have a wonderful time. May the Lord bless you. Cheers.